This is Including You, the new series from Lead at Any Level. Including You features stories from chief diversity officers and other executives who are creating inclusive cultures in their organizations. Our goal is to show what's working in companies just like yours, to give you the tools you need to keep pushing for progress in your own workplace. We want to create belonging and opportunity for everyone, including you. And now here's your host, Amy C. Wanninger. Welcome back to Including You. I'm your host, Amy C. Wanninger. My guest today is Trav Wolkowski. He's the board chair of Employmetrics. Employmetrics is a global people operations consultancy offering embedded and project-based services. They design strategies informed by people analytics and put data to work. Employmetrics employs 300 or more people globally. Trav, welcome to the show. Amy, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you, and I'm excited to learn why a company like Employmetrics, that's a consultancy, is so committed to building an inclusive workplace. You have to bake inclusion into everything if you want to succeed. We're working with clients of all different sizes and, and tons of different industries. And if we don't have any representation of people that come from those industries or have those backgrounds, then how are we going to be able to do anything for them that's useful? And so by, by keeping things as varied as possible on our side, we can mitigate any issues we have on, their, on the client side. And inclusion is super important because I think a lot of companies think of DNI, of course, that's the buzz thing these days. And they think of that as being metrics. Do we have X number of women or X number of this race or this race? But if those people aren't actually able to belong and come as their authentic true selves, then what good is it? You're not doing anything. If you're forcing people to wear a mask all day, outside of the COVID part of that, <laughs> then just like, why? So we use Diva, which a friend coined, that's diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and accessibility. And if you don't cover all five of those prongs, you're missing out. Absolutely. And it's interesting to me that you started with diversity of industry background as a starting point for where diversity begins in your consultancy, because I do think that's an important component. And when I'm teaching about networking and how people can build a broad network, I start with industry as the first dimension of diversity that people need to look at, because a lot of times we get very siloed in our careers we don't look outside of our own industry and we forget that other people are problem solving in different ways. But you brought up a lot of good points around really bringing our whole selves to work and celebrating and recognizing the value of each person and their lived experience and all of the ways that people can contribute. How are you putting that into practice at Employmetrics? Unfortunately, I don't think we have anything in writing about it. Our playbook certainly speaks to welcoming people as authentic people and fostering psychological safety. But I think how we do it is really just how we operate. We operate as friends, work meetings, or they have agendas and things, but we're just hanging out with our buddies because it's, we're a group of people that has grown together. And I think we've come together organically, but it almost in that it's so perfect, <laughs> which is very weird, but I think we've got so many different people at the table that I hope nobody feels othered. And I think if we start with that as a baseline, 
then we should be good at least almost all the way there, if not all the way there. And I think we've finally succeeded at that. It was certainly more intentional and prescribed originally, but it doesn't have to be anymore. It just happens. So we've made sure that, for example, in hiring processes, there are no implicit biases. And we are never looking at any kind of demographic characteristics. Early days, we did have to look at those things and make sure that we weren't doing things poorly. Now it's just baked into what we do and it's not something we have to worry about. So let's talk about that, getting the biases out of hiring, because that's a place where a lot of people struggle. A lot of companies struggle, especially smaller companies, companies under thousands of people will struggle with their hiring practices because so many hiring managers will interview people and say, that's somebody that I'd like to spend time with. That's somebody I'd love to get a beer with. The beer test factors into hiring. So as a a small-ish company, how have you guarded against that? What sorts of protocols or best practices have you put in place to make sure that the hiring process is really seeks to get the best people for the job, not necessarily a group of friends, as you put it? Yeah, so when we're doing the very first round pass and looking at resumes, everything is redacted. So there is only one person that ever sees a full resume. Everyone else just sees the experience. They're not seeing names, locations, area codes, zip codes, anything like that. And then when we get into the deeper parts of the interview, there is the beer test. But if someone says that's not somebody I would want to have a beer with, why? Let's talk about why and make sure it's not something that is some sort of demographic characteristic or anything that's just, if it makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, it's a problem. And luckily, again, we don't have that problem, but I think a lot of companies do. I don't know of an operational way to solve that other than constantly figuring out what's the root cause and asking why. You know, a lot of times I feel like a toddler because all I say is why, tell me more, why? But that's how you get to the root of things and figuring out where people are hesitant towards somebody will uncover everything. You know, is it that they don't have the experience we need? Okay, that's totally valid. Let's move on. Is it because they're a man? Let's not regard that. (laughs) I think that doesn't matter. So take that off the list and now what do you think? So just constantly asking why and digging deeper solves for it until there's a much more operationalized method. That's what we've got for now. So how do you know it's working? Are you tracking metrics internally of representation at various levels? Are you doing any sort of inclusion assessments? How do you know that you're getting the results that you want? Uh, Yes, we do track everything. We're actually one of the founding members of Open Imperative, which is an initiative through OpenComp that seeks to close the pay gap between genders. And we actually have the opposite issue of most companies. In that we have very few men. We are we were founded by women, and we've got the the vast majority of people at the company are women. So we do have to pay a little bit of attention to trying to find non-women occasionally, just to make sure that everything is appropriate. Totally just lost the question. Oh, metrics. But yeah, so yeah, we track everything at a high level. We don't report out except for the audits that we have to, for example, for that open imperative. So we closely watch everything internally and make sure that things are looking appropriate. Of course, like I said, we've got a massively high percentage of women. So that on face value might look like we're discriminating against men. We're not. It's just, you know, what we have. 
Yeah. And sometimes I think when we have a company, especially a company that's founded by women or a company that's founded by ethnic minorities or other underrepresented groups, they tend to attract employees who feel like they'll have a fair shot there where they wouldn't other places necessarily, because we see the metrics everywhere else of, of how those things show up. I wanted to go back to this notion of data analy- or people analytics, because that's what you all do. Do you apply those same principles to your own company? Is that are you your first client, I guess, is the question. Yes, absolutely. When we're writing any sort of chapter of the playbook, we test it internally first. And people analytics is kind of popping up once again as the trend, which is awesome. We, we love that. And a lot of people don't really understand what that means. And that means that just anything you can measure about people. So age, salary, demographics, tenure, literally anything. However, just because you can measure something doesn't mean you should and doesn't mean it's a valuable thing to measure. So that's one of those things that we really practice internally first. Hey, we're thinking about let's measure this and see if we have any really great insights that come from that. We'll use ourselves as the alpha test and say, okay, does this hold water? And if it does, all right, then let's do a pilot group and we'll roll it out. And then if it actually does get validated, that's when it'll hit the playbook and actually get rolled out to all the clients. But yeah, everything starts at home. I think it's so important to have that data and find out what's what matters, what's predictive, what's instructive, what's valuable. And you never know if you don't collect it whether it's valuable or not. Of course, you have to be careful what you collect and how you collect it and how you store it and how you share it. Those things are always important, especially when we're talking about people's data. But, you know, finding those nuggets of insight in vast amount of data can be really useful and can really give you a competitive advantage, not just with your clients, but also internally as you're competing for talent. Do you have any examples of how you've leveraged the people analytics or the people data in that way? Yeah, there's a million coming to mind. I don't know which one to pick. Let me go on the topic of survey. A lot of companies run surveys. And so what, what used to be the standard is the annual survey. And now the market has moved to this continuing listening model where they're doing these micro surveys, a message question here or there through Slack. The question that or the thing that people like to build into surveys that I always have to fight really hard against is asking questions that won't matter the regard, no matter the answer. So for example, if you're going to ask people, should we allow employees to bring alligators to the office? Even if 100% of people say yes, is anybody going to bring an alligator to the office? No. And if they do, then you've got a massive liability problem. Let's not go there. So don't ask the question. If it's not something you're going to change, don't ask it. Because asking it makes it seem like it's on the table for discussion. And so that's, I think, the first place to start is when you're, before you're even collecting the data. Look at those things that you're collecting data on and making sure that they are appropriate, measurable, and actionable. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of we don't ask questions we don't want the answers to. And we don't give people an opinion if we're going to tell them what we want them to think. And if you ask somebody, and one of the perfect examples of that, I think right now, is this notion of return to office, stay hybrid or stay remote. 
a lot of companies are doing surveys around that because they're hoping for data that supports the decision they're already planning to make. And what they're finding is the data does not support the decision they're already planning to make. And now they've got a PR nightmare because they've asked people, do you want to come back? And everybody's saying, no, we do not. And they're like, your desk will be here on Monday and we expect you in it. And that's the worst case scenario of surveying employees on something that you could act on and then not doing it. So your point's very well taken that, you know, if they don't want to be in the office, don't ask them if they want to be in the office. If you tell them, that's one thing. If they can't bring an alligator to the office, don't ask them if they want to, because that's not going to happen. And also making things opinion-based or making it feel like a vote when it's a policy decision that has real legal, ethical, or liability ramifications, again, is a really bad idea. Should we, should we have pay equity? Yes, of course you should. That shouldn't be put to a vote among your employees. That's the right thing to do. That's the legal thing to do. That's the appropriate thing to do. And so if we left it to everyone's opinion, then we would be in a whole lot of trouble. So Trav, as you think about what's next for Employmetrics in terms of the culture, I know you said that there, you're at a place where things are, the culture is kind of taking care of itself. What do you see as the next elevation in this Diva journey that you're on? So we're constantly trying to keep a pulse on what's happening. If we could have a crystal ball, that would be amazing. Unfortunately, we don't have one yet, but that's really what we need. And so by constantly listening to clients, to the media, to what posts are trending on that sidebar on LinkedIn, that tells us where things are going and what we need to think about proactively. We always want to be proactive rather than reactive. And I think what's on the horizon is something that we tackled very early on, and that's the the cognitive diversity elements, for lack of a better term. So, for example, are you bringing in all extroverts? That could be a problem. Are you, Is your culture inherently biased against someone on the autism spectrum? Is your culture clearly towards biased towards doing in-person events where you're all standing around a pub table where someone in a wheelchair wouldn't be able to participate. Those are all things that you're really not going to notice until they happen, until it's a problem. But if you think about it ahead of time, then you can plan for it and steer the culture in a way that makes So I think that's where we're at right now. We're trying to figure out how to determine, how to assess if a culture is really available to people who are neurodivergent or not. We haven't figured that out yet. It's still, we're still tinkering with it, but I think it'll be really exciting when we get there. Yeah, that's an important component. And there are so many people who have visible and non-visible disabilities. Roughly one in four people in the United States alone are living with a disability. And as we see more and more people with, grappling with the impacts of long-term COVID, we're going to see more and more people in that category of having a disability as our population continues to age. We're going to see more and more people of working age even age into disability, if you will. And so I think this notion of there's this whole workforce that's hidden that we're not tapped into because we don't have the right processes, procedures, cultures, expectations, or accommodations in place to make sure that we're finding them, inviting the men making them feel welcome. And in a lot of cases, people have disabilities and don't self-identify as having disabilities either because there's a stigma associated with that disclosure or because they themselves don't recognize 
their disability as a disability. I wear glasses, technically, that's an accommodation. People who have, to your point, neurodivergence, ADHD, autism, depression, anxiety, social anxiety, these are all things that can prevent people from participating fully at work or from being fully accepted at work. When we go back to the interview and you say, I'm not comfortable with that person. I don't like them. I don't, I couldn't connect. It might be because the person isn't good for the job, but it might be they're on the spectrum or they have attention deficit disorder, or they have some social anxiety that's showing up in that situation. So there's so much that can keep people with neurological differences or even disabilities out of the workforce, even without recognizing it. So I think this is going to be a, a wonderful problem to solve, not just for Employmetrics, but for your clients and, and for the world. So Trav, thank you so much for being part of the show. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for sharing some of the amazing things that you're doing in Employmetrics to improve the culture and make the world a better place for your clients. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. and Time really flew by. I could talk for hours on it. So if anyone wants to chat more, let me know. Thank you. I'll make sure and put all the links in the show notes to you and your company on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the company website so everybody can get to you there. And Trav, thank you again. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, follow Lead at any level on LinkedIn and YouTube. Then join us for Including You video simulcast every Thursday at noon Eastern. Including You can also be enjoyed each week as part of the Living Corporate Audio Podcast Series, available on all major podcast platforms. Learn more at living-corporate.com. Including You is brought to you in part by Lead at Any Level, a boutique training and consulting firm improving employee engagement and retention for companies that promote from within. Lead at Any Level. Leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. Learn more at leadatanylevel.com. Lead at Any Level and its logo are registered trademarks of Lead at Any Level LLC. The views and opinions of guests on our show do not necessarily reflect the positions of Lead at Any Level, Living Corporate, or the sponsors of Including You.